Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And on deck this week, we have gay men failing to take responsibility once again for disease transmission, new monkeypox edition. We're going to talk about the Democrats, and particularly Barack Obama's narcissistic exploitation of the school shooting that took place in Texas. Then we've got for you more teachers, Trunin and Grumman, and a little look at the cottage industry of female denial of borderline personality disorder, brought to you courtesy the trial of Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. But first, an amuse-bouche, something to whet your appetite. Let's take a look at a story from the UK's Daily Mail. Headline. Uterus-shaped cereal aims to normalize conversations about periods at the breakfast table. Mmm. Would you like to know what the cereal is called? Yes, Josh, we would. Okay, children, it's called Period Crunch. (laughs) And here's one for you Gen Xers. (laughs) <laughs> Do you remember Smurfberry Crunch? <laughs> well, Smurfberry Crunch's jingle was from the Nutcracker, so I'm going to do the the period crunch jingle as the Smurfberry Crunch jingle as the Nutcracker. <clears throat> period crunch is fun to eat, a bloated, bleeding breakfast treat. <laughs> the next line, if it was Smurfberry Crunch, was made by Smurf so happily, etc., etc. Uh, also coming out with a special edition, uh, oops, all tampons box. So look out for that at your grocer's uh, grain aisle. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you something. We usually, <coughs> excuse me, we usually record the show in the afternoon uh, in the evening, which is, is better. But right now it's, yeah, I know. Everybody's like, I'm already at brunch. It's early for me on a Sunday morning. So um, I'll try not to be too much of a jack in the box <laughs> as we do today. And of course, that means nothing because all of you watching this right now are watching it at least at 9 p.m. on a Sunday. Uh, what do we have next? Ah, yes. This is just in from the Never Good Enough desk here at uh, Disaffected Studios. <clears throat> What's that? Uh, sorry, late breaking news. Yes, I, yes. I'm being told that the alphabet people are attacking each other again, so let's take a look. <laughs> I got a tweet here. Well, two tweets. I don't know if they're tweets. They're social media. Um... First one is a picture of a house, just a, a, a suburban house, and it says, so we painted our home, and the house on the left is the normal paint, and the house on the right has been painted in the traditional <laughs> the traditional gay rainbow colors. <laughs> traditional. Uh, yeah, so just, it's it's a big rainbow. So the person whose name is Kim says, so we painted our home and shows shows social media. Uh, the home painting. <laughs> First response from Project D Rock, whatever the hell that is. Yes, hashtag diversity is our strength. However, 
we want to gently add that these are the old colors that excluded folks. And if you can't see this because you're listening, yes, they spelled it F-O-L-X. Back to it. The original pride colors did not include some folks, e.g. P-O-C, people of color. The updated flag since 2018 is below with inclusive colors. You know what? I just, I almost made a mistake as I was reading that to you, and it would have been a Freudian slip. I almost read that is below with intrusive colors because they are, in fact, intrusive colors. If you look at the alleged new pride flag, because it's not gay pride anymore, it's LGBTQ plus SIA to queer IA. <laughs> They've got the rainbow flag with the horizontal stripes being impinged, you can see it a little bit in this image on the screen, um, but there's a chevron, a triangle, that is coming in from the other side with a, you know, it's basically penetrating the rainbow flag. No, I don't think that's accidental. Yes, I think it's on purpose. Yes, I think they mean the implications that you and I are thinking right now. Absolutely. And since we're gonna, we're gonna stick to the topic of gay people well we weren't really on the topic of gay people were we we're on the topic of queer people well <laughs> you be the judge of what comes next i want to talk about gay men and sexually transmitted diseases i was a teen at the height of the aids crisis that was my the time in my life when i was coming of age politically and sexually and I hung around with the safe sex crowd. Back in those days, you know, this is early 1990s. At, really, at, at the height of the AIDS crisis, there was a lot of cultural room to talk about safe sex. And what I mean by that is, it, it, it isn't like today. It wasn't like today. Um, you could speak the message about safe sex and how important it was openly without apologizing. You didn't have to pre-caveat it either. You didn't have to say, of course, I understand that for some, some people can't access safe sex. You didn't have to do any of that bullshit because nobody treated the suggestion that you, that you use a condom, that you use a barrier or that you direct your activities toward things that are statistically less likely to transmit disease. Nobody considered that an infringement. No one considered that, quote, hating on people. There was no such language, no such concept as sex negative. That, that didn't exist. So you could say these things, but there were still some things that you couldn't say. And one of the things Oh, is this the right way to explain it? You could say this, but you could only say it as a very casual aside. It had to be, it had to be tossed off. It had to be a, um, a throwaway clause in a sentence. It could not be the main idea. The fact that abstaining from sex altogether or being monogamous were the best options in terms of being statistically safest. You could say it, but you had to do it as an aside. It had, you could acknowledge that, um, 
Well, you could acknowledge that that they were statistically safer, but what you couldn't do was characterize them uh, either explicitly or by tone of voice as good options. They had to be neutral at absolute best. Only mentioned with no signal that there might be any um, anything wiser or or even healthier about that. But even in those days, you could not acknowledge the plain reality of what was happening to gay men. The thousands of men <clears throat> who were infected and who were dying of AIDS. And that reality was that gay men were voluntarily and willingly killing ourselves through our irresponsibility and our extreme promiscuity. That's the truth. It was the truth then. It is true now. No, you couldn't say that. It had to be about how the government was failing us. The government hated gay men so very much. And, and of course, some of that was true, right? <laughs> there certainly wasn't a lot of government sympathy uh, for medical research for gay men with AIDS. There was some activism that needed to happen about that. It's true. But it, these conversations never stay reasonable. Now, the government was failing us. Reagan, Ronald Reagan specifically, was failing us and was happy that, w that we were dying. Not killing ourselves. We're, you know, dying and being failed, right? Always being failed. We were like the original unhoused. We weren't homeless. We were unhoused. Somebody didn't, didn't house us. But we had no responsibility. We gay men had no responsibility. We acted as if we were in danger just for having sex, just for, we can't even do the normal things that other people do without worrying that we're gonna lose our lives. Well, there are consequences to behaviors, to physical behaviors from a disease transmission standpoint. The reality is that we were absolutely unashamedly promiscuous. It is not uncommon to talk to gay men who have had thousands of sexual partners. Does that surprise some of you? And when I mean not uncommon, what I mean is no, it's not one out of 100 gay men who will tell you, oh, I've slept with 1,000 men or 1,500 men. It's way more than one in 100, okay? Not rare. Um, and not everybody, of course. I know there are gay men, because I, I talk to them, who are really shocked to hear this because living that way has never occurred to them. Sadly, that's not most gay men. Living promiscuously is what has occurred to most of us, and it was something that I did too. Um, you know, it's not unusual. It's not a small minority, but it's worse today. The victimhood culture that we we saw parts of in, in the days of, um, of ACT UP screaming about the government. And I'm not criticizing ACT UP in toto, okay? They did some good stuff. Um, but today, victimhood culture reigns supreme. Um, anybody who is put under the LGBTQ plus label is beatified and placed beyond all earthly responsibilities or moral considerations. And I want to show you an example of 
of how that attitude continues in professional medicine and um, among gay men. So this is a series of tweets from a man named Greg Gonzalves. He is a Twitter blue check, and uh, we'll put him on the screen here. I work at Yale focusing on operations, research, epidemiology for infectious disease. In the real world, have been an AIDS activist for 30 years, associate professor, Yale School of Public Health. Danger, Will Robinson, danger! <laughs> we already know what's coming, don't we? Ooh, I usually do this because, you know, you could spill it on your suit and look terrible, but I need this coffee. Mm. Mm, delicious. Kevin, if you that logo was on there, make sure you blur it out. We don't want to give McDonald's no free advertising. Yeah, and bleep me when I said that word, too. If they want to appear on our show, they can goddamn well pay us. <laughs> All right. So Greg, Greg says, so a thread on monkeypox. I guess I should set this up a little bit. If you haven't heard... They're trying to make monkeypox happen, <laughs> like fetch. I don't think it's going to happen, but they're trying to make it happen. It's the new thing. All right, so monkeypox. I am not an expert on the pathogen, but right now, many of the cases are in gay men, and I know something about infectious diseases among men who have sex with men. Next tweet. First, it is not a gay disease. If you say it is, you are perpetuating stigma and ignorance, damaging the public health response to this and endangering lives. Does that sound familiar? I bet it does. So right off the bat, it seems to me that he's trying to create a drama. And he's trying to invoke this sort of dramatic atmosphere that characterized the persecution of, of AIDS victims 30, 35, 40 years ago. Um, and he's acting as though that's happening or about to happen again in the same way over monkeypox. I think that's really a stretch. Really do. Damaging the public health response. How? If, if a person says this seems to be a gay disease or a, or a disease that gay men get more than other people, how specifically is that, quote, damaging the public health response? And further, I would like to know how specifically that is, as he says, endangering lives. Lots of words are endangering lives these days. You guys notice that? I mean, I'm telling you, I never knew words were so powerful. People would be getting killed left and right behind these words, honey. <laughs> you see, you see the new modern post-COVID morality at work here. Questioning or using the wrong words around this topic is endangering lives. Talking is endangering lives. This shit worked during the AIDS crisis too, but it wasn't nearly as, as spread on as thick. Next tweet from Greg. The disease spreads by close physical contact. And this is the setting in which most cases have been found in this global set of outbreaks, most likely disseminated via large social events. <laughs> I love the euphemisms. First, close physical contact. Is that what we're calling it today? <laughs> close physical contact. He wants to avoid saying anal sex. <laughs> and um, large social events. 
large social events. What are those large social events? Well, here's the LA Times uh, headline. As monkeypox cases grow, so do fears of a return of gay blame and stigma. And this just occurred uh, this just occurred to me right now as I read this headline to you. The thing they're worried about the most is not the monkeypox itself, but the stigma about talking about gay people and monkeypox. <laughs> it's so stupid. Um fears of a return of gay blame and stigma. Yeah, confected fears. Very much desired histrionic and attention-seeking fears. The large social events were actually, uh, well, uh, many media were calling them gay raves, like a, a rave party. Um, Plain-spoken people generally refer to such events as orgies, because that's what they are. They're not festivals. <laughs> festivals. They're not, they're not just events. It's a public pig pile of gay men. I mean, you know, I mean, I suppose you could call it a festival because, yes, that's exactly what gay pride is these days. God, cut me some slack, guys. Back to Greg. The answer isn't to shut down all these parties, tell gay men to stop having sex at them, or dancing in close proximity to each other. It won't work. It hasn't worked for HIV or other kinds of infectious disease outbreaks among gay men. Why that? <clears throat> why isn't it the answer to shut them all down? Because that was the answer for countries around the world about COVID. They shut down travel. They shut down business. Cities poured sand over skateboard parks to discourage teenage boys from going outside. We saw roped off playgrounds with police tape on swing sets and merry-go-rounds. Seriously. Some places made benches, like the benches at bus stops, unable to be sat upon with something spiky or some other bullshit like that. So we could tell the whole goddamn world to shut down, tell the economy to shut down over something generally comparable to the flu, but we it's not the answer to tell gay men to shut down these parties. It's not the answer to tell gay men to stop having sex at them. Go back. Look at his tweet again. The answer isn't shut down all these parties. Tell gay men to stop having sex at them. <laughs> now, listen, I don't, I don't, I'm not an authoritarian. Uh, I'm not a nanny stater. I don't want to shut anything down. I don't think the government should have the right to shut things like this down. I may find them absolutely unappealing, but I do not wish to have that kind of control. Um, and I don't want to stop anybody from living their lives. It would upset me more to be involved with that than, than it upsets me to see them being irresponsible. But God forbid we should ever tell gay men to knock it off. You know, this is one point the feminists have. We treat the, the gay cock like it's holy. You know, you can't say nothing that the, don't say nothing about what the dick wants. What the dick wants, the dick gets. And if you don't like it, you're a homophobe. It's holy, and it's much holier than your ability to go to the grocery store, maintain your job, or even to see faces, or for your children to go to school. A few more from Greg. <clears throat> so he says, a friend has said, this is what we do, and then he gives us a numbered list. Number one. Don't panic. Number two, don't stigmatize. Number three, don't suddenly become sex negative. Number four, 
educate men on what to watch out for. Number five, ask people to stay home if they're sick or have some unusual lesion pop up. (laughs) 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 Sorry, sorry, audio listeners. I was pretending an alien was growing out of my jacket. Um, But notice that in this list, ask people to stay home. Don't order them. Ask them. Uh, I mean, yeah. Do you think for a moment that Greg wasn't on board with the shut the whole world down over COVID? Because I haven't checked, but I'd be willing to bet good money he was. And he says, if we jump to cancel events and stop having sex, we lose any hope of an effective response later if this doesn't burn itself out. He says, his friend says, really, we lose any hope. How? How will being sex negative, even just for a moment, make us lose any hope of an effective response later. It's all just dashed. This is pure emotional inflation. It's just histrionics. It's just histrionics. To avoid telling gay men to stop being whores. That's all that it is. Last one from Greg. So we know what to do. But there are always people ready to use disease to stigmatize and scapegoat. Call it out if you see it. (laughs) Okay, Greg. All right, it's time for a break, but we would love to have you subscribe on audio. Do you know that in addition to this show that you're watching right now, that we have audio episodes that never appear here? Go to iTunes, Pandora, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, through your favorite podcast app, and please hit subscribe. See you on the other side. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com disaffected or visit subscribestar.com disaffected. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you guys could give me some help. I need better powder. I... (laughs) My face is so greasy. Every time we take a break, I have to powder like three times. And by the time we get done with another 20-minute segment, my face is shining again. If you out there have any specific brand or brand product line recommendations for a really good, just a, a, a setting powder to, to put down shine that lasts and um, works for grease balls like me. Um, leave us a comment in the YouTube section, please. Thank you very much. Oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, Kevin uh, just offered me some electronics degreasers. Yeah, the problem with that is they're so drying. Um, and I'm allergic to sprayed graphite. Sorry. <laughs> Okay.
I would like to talk about young people's disconnection from the physical world that we live in. And every generation that comes by, in recent memory, in modern, modern times, electrified times, if you will, every generation is bemused by technology and the ways that people accomplish things in the past. But something is different today about young people's bemusement. Today's young people, it seems to me, are they're more than bemused. They're, they're often almost contemptuous of things they see from the past. They seem to be signaling not just bemusement or amusement, but something closer to embarrassment or disdain. It sometimes even seems to border on disgust. And I, I'm trying not to overegg this, but I do think I'm picking up on something real, even if I haven't identified exactly what it is. The reaction, I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, I mean, obviously part of my shtick is complaining about young people, and part of my shtick is, is my romantic obsession with uh, 19th and 20th century analog technology. So some of this is just me being me. But um, I like to I like to explain about things, as you know, um, and I love to explain about things that I find fascinating. So I find old telephone technology fascinating. I, I find old kerosene lighting technology, steam power generation, all of this stuff. I absolutely love it. So I like to talk about what I know about it, and I've I've sometimes explained a rotary dial telephone to younger people because I've got a uh, late 40s uh, black Bakelite uh, desk set. Um, works too. I just don't have a landline at home. But it's just very pretty. It's a nice decor item. So I, I occasionally put a, a picture up of it and young people, you know, will say, wow, what's, I mean, usually not what's that. They know it's a telephone. But talking about how Pulse rotary dialing work, that series of on, off, on, off, on, off, you know. Uh, often with young people, the first thing they do is they affect this kind of incredulity um, that it could work. And this sort of attitude that what a burden it must have been to have to physically turn that dial around a central rotation point. Um. And, and sometimes there's a, there's a sort of insouciance in their attitude, this idea that anyone who lived in the past was to be pitied. <laughs> well, I don't have to do that. When I was young, I was fascinated by the technology of past generations, much more so than the stuff that, that was new in my time. I mean, I loved that too. I loved my, uh, you know, I loved my electronic toys, my first Commodore 64 computer. But I was really fascinated by the stuff that came beforehand because it wasn't familiar and everyday to me. And one of the best things about that kind of technology was that you could intuit it directly. You can't do that with computers. Computers are literally a black box. You cannot see the state of electrons that makes them do what they do. But you can see gears, you can see springs, you can see pistons. Um, you can see vacuum lines. You can understand uh, loss of suction, pneumatic pressure, all these sorts of things. 
you could take things apart and put them back together and have them work and get a better understanding of how they worked. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, of course, I mean, I loved my modern conveniences and I didn't want to give them up. But I didn't think that the modern conveniences of my mother's generation or my grandmother's generation were stupid or really weird or how embarrassing for them that they had to do that. And I seem to get that sense from some young people these days. It's related to this, uh, that that trip to Walmart that I took with Kevin. Uh, how many months? God, it has to be at least six or seven months ago now. And uh, when I was seducing Kevin into getting... Uh, his first kerosene burning lamp. And we stopped at Walmart. It was it was during the yeah, it was it was last summer. Um and went in and asked a Walmart employee who was stocking shelves and gave at least the appearance that she might know something about the store's stock where um where we would find kerosene. And she said What's kerosene? Uh, see, that. <laughs> Never mind. I've done enough setup with this. Well, I took it to Twitter as I always do. And I asked other people my age what they thought. And here are some of the responses that I got. This one is from Twitter Mutual serial number. Serial number says, they, young people, are growing up in hyper-reality. They prefer it. This is part of why they have such high rates of mental illness. Hyper-reality doesn't release the same hormones and neurotransmitters as real touch. Also, why they get outraged so easily. Their emotions aren't in their bodies. Uh, Kristen Curry said, they also won't watch any movies made before 2000 or so. As if there's something weird or alien about the way people were back then that they don't want to experience. It's hard to describe. I used to love movies from the 40s when I was their age. Kristen's experience is exactly like mine, that hard-to-describe thing about um, them acting like there was something weird or uncomfortable about the way people were. It, it is hard to describe, but I think some of you are going to get this. Uh, Kristen also said... My kids are scared to eat vegetables out of the garden. Seems very weird to them to eat something pulled out of the dirt. And, you know, this is not... If if you think she's making that up, I guarantee you she's not. I remember this had to be 12 or 13 years ago when I was looking for a recipe, uh, a chicken recipe, and just scouring the internet, found one that looked like exactly what I wanted. And all these comments on the recipe, you know, I loved it, or, oh, this didn't work. It's this big featured one. I could not believe it. This woman wrote that she was so looking forward to this recipe, but she could not believe that the that the blogger didn't warn her that it called for chicken with the bone in because I couldn't, I was so embarrassed and uncomfortable when I set this plate down this casserole down in front of my family and I had I had to put bones in front of them and we had to actually pick the bones out. I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I, it's not. I mean, have you seen the way the younger generations 
will will often look at meat like they don't want to look at it at all, let alone touch it in a supermarket. They seem to believe that hamburgers come from hamburger trees. Mm. Anyway, um, one one more from uh, Twitter Mutual Sarah. She says, yes, there's a lot of judgment. My partner and I have five kids between us in the age range between 15 and 25. They are not only negatively judging old mechanical things, but everything unsanitized is unsafe. My partner's kids throw food away if it touches the table or counter. The table. If your roll falls off your plate and touches the table, it has to be thrown away. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know it's not every young kid, but this is a growing sentiment. This disconnection from analog reality. You know reality is analog, right? Yeah? No, you didn't know that? It is. It's, it's analog. It's not digital. It's not ones and zeros. It's a continuous spectrum. Don't come back and correct me and talk about Well, if you get down to the subatomic level, you can see that some electron states are positive and negative. Shut up, Nancy. I know. Let's talk about the Texas school shooting. I'm not going to cover this story because you've already gotten all the alleged details that you're going to uh, that you're going to get, whether they're real or not, from other sources. I want to talk about the reaction to this story. As we know, of course, an 18-year-old man killed 19 children and two adults in Uvalde, Texas, this week. Um, and I'm passing over all of it. I'm passing over all the speculation about when, when the police went in when they didn't. We're not going to cover any of that. Excuse me. We're going to talk about how we talked about this. We love a tragedy. We modern Westerners. We love a tragedy. We say we don't, but we cannot get enough of it. And it isn't like the way we love to watch soap operas or Game of Thrones or listen to true crime podcasts. We love it because of what tragedy can do for us, what it can do for our egos, what it can do for our wish to be perceived by other people as deeply emotionally moral subjects in the world. That's what we're looking for. Here's an image from a private Facebook group. I'll read it to you. Uh, CTU members only Facebook group. I, um, it's, a, it's a Facebook group for public school teachers. I don't know exactly where. It doesn't matter where. Quote, with a heavy heart, I make this post. I had to explain to second graders that someone came to a school and hurt people that were the same age as them. I also had the serious conversation that the individual that carried out such a horrific act was hurt by his classmates over and over. He was so hurt he wanted to hurt and didn't care about their families mourning them, exclamation point. He was so hurt he wanted to die and others to die with him. I'm reading this as it's written. This bad grammar, these syntactical errors, as in the original, as written by this teacher. Back to the quote. He was so hurt he wanted to die and others to die with him. Those unkind words and acts from people on a daily basis took a toll and crushed his desire to be part of the living. Good Lord, Mary. So have the conversation with your young ones. Unkind words, unkind acts are devastating. Again, syntax as in the original. If you don't have anything nice to say, just be quiet. 
okay, teacher, you know what? I want to do that in the Salem's Lot. But remember that? Remember the um, Salem's Lot made for TV movie? Teacher. Mike Ryerson, who's in there, is going to get the teacher. Teacher. Okay, never mind. Think of it as an Easter egg. No, honey, you didn't have to explain this to your second graders. You chose to do that. And why did you choose to put this tragedy in the minds of your second graders? Why did you believe that was a good idea? This teacher used this tragedy to start programming kids to believe that if they're not nice enough in just the right way to their classmates, that they will get killed. And it will be their fault. They will have asked for it. Quote, those unkind words and acts from people on a daily basis crushed his desire to be part of the living. What are you on about? You don't know any of these things. It's been just days. What we do know is that the usual correlates for this kind of violence seem to be there. Single mother, unstable home, domestic violence calls to the home, both mother and father, absent father, who apparently lives in the neighborhood but doesn't have much to do with anybody, both of them have criminal records, mom and dad, and the shooter shot his grandmother in the face first before he went on his rampage at the school. We never, ever, ever want to discuss the real causes of these problems. And I'm going to give you an example here. This, this is from Tulsi Gabbard, and I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt here. Um, I think she means well, and she may just be thinking of the emergency measures that she believes are necessary to take right now, the Band-Aids that we, we actually need to stanch the bleeding. Um, and if, if she's talking about that, fair enough, all reasonable. But this is the only kind of thing we talk about broadly. Um, and, and when it's the only thing we talk about, it sounds like a prescription for avoiding, continuing to avoid any discussion of the actual causes of this kind of violence. So Tulsi Gabbard said, we grieve for the 21 who were killed in Texas today, but grieving is not enough. We could have and must now take common sense actions to prevent these tragedies, like establishing single points of entry into schools, armed guards, trained staff, mental health services, and more. There was, a, there was a lot like this. There's a lot more like other things, too. But the worst of the lot was Barack Obama. I'm seeing him even more clearly than I used to. And I, I, I was, even though I, I think I know what kind of character this man has, I was surprised to see what I'm going to show you. This was his series of tweets. As we grieve the children of Uvalde today, we should take time to recognize that two years have passed since the murder of George Floyd under the knee of a police officer. His killing stays with us all to this day, especially those who loved him. Just a reminder that St. George fentanyl addict Floyd also died, in case you guys forgot while you were looking over there at these dead children. Guy died like two years ago. That's that's ugh, ugh. I. <clears throat> George Floyd was passing counterfeit money. He was combative. He was high. He had a criminal record. No, he doesn't deserve to die. Hate the fact that you have to get this 
bloody moral caveat in there every time and it still doesn't work. But how is he comp, how is that situation at all comparable to these elementary school children who are mowed down? How? It isn't. That's how. Another from Barack Obama. In the aftermath of his murder, a new generation of activists rose up to channel their anguish into organized action, launching a movement to raise awareness of systemic racism and the need for criminal justice and police reform. He breezes right on by the current tragedy to fluff his own community organizing agenda. They channeled their anguish into organized action. That wasn't anguish. It was narcissistic rage. Nothing to do with genuine anguish. Yep. And some of them who channeled their, their anguish into activism burned American cities and government buildings, Barack. The biggest of these activist organizations, Black Lives Matters, matter, appears to have spent millions or tens of millions of dollars on their own houses, homes, and pet projects out of donations to the organization. And it gets grosser with Barack Obama. Last one in the series here. Inspired by these young leaders, MBK Alliance launched a reimagining policing pledge for mayors and cities ready to take action. If you're wondering how you can make things, help make things a little better today, here are some ways to get involved. With a picture of, who's that, Trayvon Martin? And a link to Obama.org. Title, Anguish in Action. <laughs> Naturally. Hey, Obama, get fucked. Now, let's talk about a teacher who had to resign recently over um, dead naming. <laughs> I'm just taking a look here. Where do we get it? Yeah, okay. Good. I'm on, I'm on track. I'm on schedule. So, take a look at this... Um, Take a look at this social media post. Or take a listen, rather. Sorry, I'm mixing things up. This is actual sound. Roll it, Kevin. All right, guys. So I have been put in the position to dead name and misgender students for the last few months or whatever since I started working at my current school corporation. And today was the day that I resigned. Um... I was called in and they said they had had a meeting with the superintendent or assistant superintendent and the school lawyer and that um, while they are here, while the students are with us, we are acting in loco parento, which apparently means that we are acting in place of the parents. And so therefore we have to abide by parent wishes um, when it comes to preferred name and pronouns, which just like isn't true. So because of this i have resigned um i am queer i'm lesbian i'm non-binary um i use she they pronouns and i will not be put in a position to feel like i'm going against my own community and i will not feed into misgendering um or dead naming it's not something that i will do period and if i had not resigned i would have gotten fired for it Ha, 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 ha,
again, I ask you, does this look or sound like a grown-up teacher to you? The Valley Girl accent? The face metal? The, you know, supposed to, like, act in plays of the parents, which is, like, just isn't true. Did you hear her? In loco parento. In loco parento. She literally has never heard of the term in loco parentis. Never. She thinks it's some new made up thing. You idiot, it's Latin. It literally means in the place of parents. Genitive case, parentis of. Never mind. Uh, okay. <laughs> we got to take another break, but I would like to ask for your help, and we do it every week because we need it. Would you please donate to us? Would you support the show? You are helping to pay the expenses of this show, and this show does have expenses. It's not just me sitting at my uh, coffee table or my dining room table. Um, and we appreciate the support we're getting from people. But one of the things that your support will be able to do is allow us to bring on people who can start helping us edit the audio episodes, just as an example. We're trying to put out at least two or three a week now. Um, and we're going to need to have some extra help. So we're reaching out to people and asking for people who have audio skills. All this stuff costs money, and we would really, really be grateful if you throw a few, uh, few dollars in the pot. A couple of easy ways to do it. Go to patreon.com slash disaffected or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. See you on the other side. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Welcome back and welcome to public school hell. Listen to this. So today was full of little happy gender euphoria moments. I got called Mr. Micah a lot today. Well, completely femme. And that was really heartwarming that the kids just got it. But my favorite reaction, and it sums me up so well, I feel like, is uh, I was in a new classroom and I took off my mask to blow my nose and I just hear a kid loudly whisper, oh, she's a Boy, and I was like, yeah, you got it, kid. You totally got it. Yeah, totally got it. Yeah, just totally got it. No, I'm sorry, but he totally didn't get it because you're not a boy. You're totally not a boy. <laughs> Again, I ask you, 
the same thing I ask you 60,000 times every episode, and I will forever. Does this look like a grown-up to you? Does this sound like an adult to you? If you couldn't see this because you're listening, this is a young woman. I don't know how old she is. I, 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 again, not to pick on her, but quite fat. Um, you see this a lot, and you see it a lot among young women who are trying to desex themselves because the larger you get, the more it erases the facial tells of, of bone structure that indicates sex. It, you become more androgynous uh, the heavier you get. But of course, her affect is, is, is stereotypically girly as you could possibly imagine. Um, in fact, she's gayer than I am. I mean, if she were a gay guy, she's not, she's a girl. Um, gender euphoria. And she got called Mr. Micah a lot, even though she was completely femme, at least she knows that part. I didn't, oh, she's not a boy. Why are you doing this with these young children? Why? Because she can, because she can get away with it, because she's not fully grown up. This is not a fully grown up person with an integrated, whole, and healthy personality and ego structure. This is somebody who is very immature and shows all the signs of dealing with past trauma. Or, well, not, not, no, actually, all the signs of not at all working through past trauma, showing all the signs of having trauma, but not working, this is not working through it. This is wallowing in it. This is burrowing down deeper into the hole. That's what this is. Not liberation, bondage. So you remember last week how I talked about judging human books by their covers, and I'm going to ask you if you want to judge this human book by the cover that he is choosing to show you. This is a social media post. You can see it on your screen. Shows it. Well, I'll I'll just I'll let him describe himself in his own words. It's a it's a selfie. Here's what he says. So this is me feeling my best teacher self because I'm wearing panties on a work day for the first time and I feel so good. And he writes, ID, a tall, bearded, demi-boy with pomaded hair and glasses, wearing a purple and white checked shirt, a gray sweater vest, and a brown tweed jacket with black jeans. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much for helping the visually impaired. Thank you. And at the bottom of his little... And, and in the picture, he's wearing all this stuff, and he's got his finger over his mouth. Listeners who aren't seeing this, he's doing the shh pose in front of it. Okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect a couple things to you, for you. Shh. It's my secret. Don't tell anybody. Wearing panties underneath his clothes feeling good about wearing panties and photographing himself and advertising it. Okay, so at the bottom of this he says, I signed up to lead an affinity group for LGBTQIA plus students at my school a while back. The first meeting is this afternoon and I'm going to be coming out to a bunch of high schoolers as bi and NB. NB meaning non-binary NBNB. Good vibes and encouragement are needed and welcome. So how about that cover of, of that book? Are you ready to judge that book by its cover yet? Because you know what this man is. 
everybody seeing that knows what this man is. Until yesterday, we all would have felt confident to say it. So say it with me. He's a panty fetish pervert. He is a pervert. He is very likely on his way to becoming a sex pest. This is the classic escalation series. This is where sex pest behavior often starts. It escalates to stealing other people's panties, if it hasn't already. Voyeurism, watching people get undressed, do all sorts of things. Then it goes to masturbation during the voyeuristic activity. Then it goes to masturbating in view of the victim that you're spying on. And then it goes on to physical assault and worse in many cases. That's the classic progression. Read his, read what he says again. This man is telling you with his own face and in plain, unashamed words that he is turned on by wearing women's panties under his male teacher clothes that he is wearing to teach your children and that he is wearing to go to the LGBTQIA plus affinity group so that he can come out as by an NB to a bunch of high schoolers. Do you know what you're seeing yet? Is it ringing any bells for you? Do you trust him? Do you trust anyone who hired him? Because do you think he gave no tells? Oh, I'm sure. There was probably no indication, no direct indication that he was going to turn out to have this particular approach to his sexual proclivities. But, eh, never mind. You know exactly what happened. Do you trust anyone in the administration of a high school like this to do anything about a teacher like this of their own volition, not just because they got caught by the media or by libs of TikTok? No, because they hired him. And he'd stay there perfectly fine unless people scream about it. So I hope that whoever is in his school district is screaming about it publicly. The last thing I want to talk about today is the cottage industry and it's an industry dominated by women. The cottage industry of borderline personality disorder apologia or outright denial of the existence of borderline personality disorder. There's long been an identifiable group of female therapists and, and women who are part of what you might loosely call the trauma community who deny that borderline personality disorder is real or who deny that many women have borderline personality disorder. They say either that it doesn't exist or that it is overdiagnosed in women who are, quote, merely traumatized. They're not personality disorder. They're merely traumatized, as if trauma wasn't part of the ingredient that forms personality disorders. No, I can't explain it. <laughs> Or they say that they that women are diagnosed with borderline personality disorder mainly because clinicians are sexist and hate the way women express themselves and pathologize women's trauma reactions. That's that's what you get from this community. This set excuses women routinely for abusive behavior, lying, reputation destruction physical violence, 
false accusations, particularly false rape accusations. If a woman does this for these women, it is only ever, ever because a man in the past hurt her or a man today is hurting her and making her do it. Those are the only reasons women ever make bad choices or ever do anything that harms anyone else. I, fairly recently, I used to believe too that borderline personality disorder was over-diagnosed in women and under-diagnosed in men. I, in general, if you look this up, you'll find that about 75% of the diagnosed cases are women, about 25% are men. And of the men, by the way, whole lot of those are gay men. Gets you thinking, doesn't it? I no longer believe that this is true. I no longer believe, and provisionally, I'm, my mind is open to being changed about this. I'm doing this based on what I've observed and what I've read. I no longer believe that women are overdiagnosed with borderline personality disorder in any but, but a small number of cases. Um, when I really let go of most of the last remnants of my feminist guilt, my my feminist sympathizing male guilt about this, I had to admit that the behaviors that are common to borderline personality disorder are thoroughly, obviously prototypical female behaviors when a person goes wrong psychologically. No, I want to underscore this. I am not saying that borderline personality disorder behaviors are typical women behaviors. That is not what I just said. What I said is that these are typically female behaviors when women go wrong psychologically, just as there are typically male behaviors that show up that often get put under narcissistic personality disorder. They're not male typical behaviors. They're behaviors that are typical of men who go badly wrong psychologically. That is an important and substantive difference. There are as many male cluster Bs as there are female, as far as I can see. But I think that there are way more borderline females than there are borderline men, to the degree that we can look at a person and say they have only this and only this discrete disorder, which, of course, you all know. I no longer believe that the four cluster B disorders are discrete and live in their own silos. I think there's a lot of overlap. Think about what this kind of excuse-making for women who behave badly Think about what it implies. Over the years, I've had at least dozens of women online excuse child abuse to me by saying things like, men hurt her in the past and she doesn't know any better. Yeah. They are actually emotionally unmoved by the abuse of a child, but very emotionally moved to identify with the abusive mother this when I get this reaction from this kind of women. It's disturbing to see. You can, you can actually put a case in front of them. You can show a case where a mother with what, to any of us who know anything about this, very obviously has borderline personality disorder, abuses her child, strikes her child, lies, manipulates, whatever it is they're doing. And woman will come in and she literally will not remark on what that woman did to the child. 
she will immediately emotionally identify with the mother and say, she must have been abused. She's only hurting because she was hurt. Do I think that uh, many or most of these women who go to such lengths to defend these other women, do I think they're borderlines and probably child abusers? Duh. Yeah, I do think they probably are. I think some of them are, are, are very misguided. I think some of them are emotionally identified with some clever and maybe more powerful personalities than they are who have given them an excuse structure that they can work within and told them that this is how you be a good feminist, this is how you show loyalty to women's concerns. But yeah, yeah, I think a whole great big number of them are abusive borderline mothers themselves. This is this dynamic is coming out a lot in the Johnny Hurt and Amber, Johnny Hurt and Amber Depp. <laughs> Those are your new drag names. Boop. Um, the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. Here's a story from the UK's newspaper, The Independent. Um, headline: Memes and videos mocking Amber Heard expose hatred and distrust of women. Experts say. First quote. Memes and videos mocking Amber Heard expose the deep hatred and distrust of women, as well as revealing the prevalence of misogyny, experts have warned. Campaigners from leading UK charities and experts told the independent viral online, told the independent that viral online responses to the lawsuit between Johnny Depp and Miss Heard shed light on how many people assume women who report domestic abuse and sexual violence are lying. How? How does this show, quote, deep hatred of women? Is it not possible that those people who, who are mocking Amber Heard are righteously mocking her, righteously mocking someone who appears to be a liar, an abuser, a con artist of an actress, let me remind everybody again, Amber Heard defecated in Johnny Depp's bed. She took a shit. She literally took a shit in his bed. You hate women if you mock this? Is that, is taking a shit in someone else's bed diagnostic of womanhood? I mean, everything else is these days, right? If you put on a wig, you're a woman. So you take a shit in somebody else's bed, you're a real woman. <laughs> We've got some great examples of the kind of women I'm talking about. Back to the independent. Charlotte Proudman, a prominent family lawyer who specializes in gender-based violence. I, I have to break away here for a second. Gender-based violence is woke's new way of avoiding saying domestic abuse. They sometimes do um, um, intimate partner violence. Um, but to the degree that you're actually talking about men beating women, um, it's not gender-based violence. It, if, you, if your argument is going to be consistent, consistent, it would be calling it sex-based. I think it's more complicated than that. But anyway, I'm digression. You know I can't help myself. All right. I'll go back to that. So this is a quote from Charlotte Proudman. The jokes, memes, and abuse of Amber Heard shows how deeply entrenched misogyny is in our society. These people aren't incels, that is involuntary celibates, uh, 
They're your brothers, your friends, even your father, she said. What Ms. Proudman means is they're men and therefore filth. They hide how much they hate you so you never know until they say something about Amber. That's what she really means. Notice how she manages to say the abuse of Amber Heard. Notice how she slipped that in there. She's doing that deliberately to activate in your mind the associations that come up with the word abuse. She, she's doing it because she knows that when she says that, even if you know this consciously, you know this isn't what's happening, your brain will activate images of men hitting women, battering wives. That's why she's doing this. She wants you she wants your brain to be in the same emotional space when you hear her talking about people mocking Amber Heard online as it would be if you were witnessing a man actually beating his wife. That's why she does it. Quote, the memes serve to undermine her, and in doing so, they send out a strong message to survivors that if you speak out, you could be laughed at and ridiculed. This might discourage women from seeking support from friends or family, and they might be reluctant to report abuse to the police. Again, from Charlotte Proudman. This is a reversal. This is what men in Johnny Depp's position have been dealing with forever. The campaigns against domestic abuse of women that took off in the 1980s, the 70s and 80s, were a resounding success. Domestic abuse is almost 100% symbolically tied in everyone's mind to man who hits his wife. That is what we think of when we hear domestic abuse. There is zero cultural and symbolic room for most of us, for wives who hurt their husbands. Until now, until we started talking about this in the Depp and Heard trial. That's why Charlotte Proudman's upset. She feels her turf is being infringed on. A couple more. Dr. Proudman argued the memes mocking Heard are, quote, driven by misogyny and a deep hatred towards women. As she argued, people are conditioned and, quote, socialized to hate women. Direct quote. To believe that women lie to support men and feel empathy toward abusers, she added, the Depp case shows this in a microcosm. That's astonishing. And take her at her word. She is saying that to believe that women can lie and to support men if you believe that a woman has lied about him is itself abusive. To believe that women can lie is itself abusive. Reversal. It's misogyny because women are perfect, empowered, but also extremely fragile, always honest creatures. Notice how men and abusers are synonymous for Charlotte Proudman. To support men, she says, to support men and feel empathy toward abusers. That's linguistic force teaming. She put men and abusers together conceptually. I know some of you see it, but this stuff does work on our minds subconsciously. Those associations do happen, even if we consciously don't want them to. Notice why she's doing this. This is manipulation. Uh, just in case you're curious, here's a picture of Charlotte. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But for my money, the most misleading of this set of feminists is psychologist Jessica Taylor, British psychologist Jessica Taylor. She offers services to abused women, and she wrote a book called Why Women Are Blamed for Everything. 
I'm going to show you three pictures of Jessica. I picked, the, I picked, ah, yeah. So we've got number one on the screen here. There are hundreds of these, but they all have something in common. And I just picked three that I think are representatives. Here's number one. Let's take a look at number two. There she is in her office. And let's take a look at number three. Okay. The hair color is never consistent, but the smirk is. Do you see the smirk? It's never possible to know how much of, a per, of my perception or your perception is confirmation bias. Some of it surely is. I have a mental history with Jessica Taylor. I've been watching her for years. This is not the first time I've encountered her. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm bringing some of that to this. Um, and I'd be interested if you don't see this, if you don't see what I'm seeing, absolutely put that in the YouTube comments. But from these, I get smug, self-assured, arrogant, self-satisfied. That's what I get from these. And remember, these are images she, cho she chooses to present to the world. They're not candid snapshots, okay? What I'm not showing you, actually, I'm not showing you the things that show up on her social media feed frequently, which is Jessica Taylor featuring her shelf of breasts right in front of the camera, and then a full view of her shapely ass in skin-tight leggings. This comes up a lot with the smirk. Take it into account. So Jessica denies that borderline personality disorder exists at all. In her formulation, they're just traumatized women. I know this because I used to follow her on many different social media platforms, and I've observed her for about five years. Today, she is saying, not only is she saying there's no such thing as borderline personality disorder and that BPD is merely a sexist non-disease that is used to abuse women, she is saying that personality disorders themselves don't exist. Hmm. Back to the article from The Independent. Dr. Taylor, who examines the pathologization of women in mental health settings, argued the, that the case, the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp case, has, quote, really brought out the worst in people, end quote, and exposed the stark reality of contempt towards women as well as revealing the trivialization of domestic violence. The only trivialization of domestic violence is when a man says that he's a victim. Women like Jessica laugh contemptuously. No sane, decent person in the year 2022 thinks violence against women is okay. That's not a cultural norm. We don't think violence against women is okay as a cultural norm. It's another example of how we act like it's still 1958 and we have made absolutely zero social and moral progress. In this article, Jessica Taylor claims that thousands, in her words, thousands of women have contacted her in distress about the current Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial. I believe she's been contacted. I believe she's been contacted a lot. I absolutely do. I don't believe it's thousands. No, I don't. I'll give you one more from her. Even some leading domestic abuse campaigners and feminists have relentlessly mocked Amber Heard and creative narratives of real victim versus not real victim, which has scared many women, she said. You know, <sighs> one of the 
watch out for this. Watch out for this cottage industry. Borderline personality disorder doesn't exist. If it does exist, it's overdiagnosed in women. If it's overdiagnosed in women, it's because clinicians hate women. Do you know how many clinicians are women? At least as many as men, and today I'll bet you it's a whole lot more. So I'm guessing that these female clinicians just hate women too, right? Oh, it's internalized misogyny. Um, there's a lot of that out there. Um, I wanted to point it out to you. I'm going to leave you with a strange clip because <laughs> there's a little bit of comic to it uh, from Piers Morgan's show recently. This is uh, this was somebody who who actually um, recorded with their phone off their TV, so the audio is a little bit wonky, but I think you'll be able to hear it. So let's take a listen to this. The imagery of the this is a trans woman, a movement Morgan. for women's liberation, and and rebranding it as this hateful movement against trans people. We don't stand for that, and the majority of women, the majority of feminists, don't stand for it. All right, let, let me let me put my cards on the table. I've always supported trans rights to fairness and equality, and I mean that sincerely. I want everyone. Ah, bullshit, bro. Well, you can say bullshit, bro, and that's fine. You're entitled to. It's an un uncensored show, and you've just proven it. Bullshit, but let, bro. But let me just say to you, I always. Wasn't your, pro wasn't your profile picture? Well, wasn't your profile picture? Let me, fucking yeah, I listened to you. Okay. There's no point. There's no point swearing. I apologize to our viewers for your bad language. It, this is a chance for you to present yourself. You guys listening, this is a. This is a guy in sunglasses and a mask and a party wig. I'm just going to say to you that I've always supported <laughs> acting trans like he's rights a woman. to fairness and equality. My issue with the way this trans debate is going is in issues like sport, for example, where I think it's very unfair that trans women should be competing against women born to female biological bodies. I have issues about safety for women. Uh, I have issues about other areas of women's rights. Piers, do you understand? Piers, Piers, do you, well, let me finish. Let me ask you a question. Do you understand and appreciate? What are these dog whistles and talking points? They're not do dog whistles and talking points. Dog whistles and talking points. You can't just call everyone who disagrees Piers, with you transphobic. Please. <laughs> if you keep swearing, I'll have to cut you, you off. You can go and have a look at their websites. You can have a look at their Twitters. Like, they are transphobic. Yes, but I am Kelly talking J. to you. King was kicked out of women's just, I just Kelly said J. King was kicked out of Women's Place UK for being If you don't racist, want to have a civilised conversation with me... People. OK, look, look, I'm trying to give you a chance. I've explained my position. What is your problem with my position? Uh, I don't really know. I'm going to leave the interview now. I kind of only came home <laughs> before we I don't really fine. know. Uh, but I want to say you're a cunt and you're a fan. Well, I apologise again to all uh, viewers who listen to that. Uh, unfortunately, a complete idiot, which is what we saw from the video. Uh, and we hoped we could have a reasonable conversation. But that is, unfortunately, what we saw in the video. Very unpleasant pieces of work. They think it's fine to come on a show like this, pretend to debate, and then engage in just uh, abusive language. It's fine. Remember, they just want to pee. See you next week. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio-only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom Hangouts. They're off-camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. 
There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected.